the Gardening Hour podcast on BBC Essex with Ken Crowther. Hello, I'm Ken Crowther and this is the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe to this podcast on BBC Sounds. This week, Mick Lavelle is my special guest, taking your calls on everything from, well, this week was a bit of a different one, figs, passion flowers and even walnut trees. There's some top tips on things you can be getting on with in the garden, plus our plant of the week. Let's go straight to talk fig trees, and that's with Sue in Canby. Hello, Sue. Good morning, Ken. When can it be pruned? It must be about seven foot wide. Has it got figs? Because that's what I would worry about, is whether I'm yeah, cutting off my I figs. over 70 last year. That's nothing to worry about. You can you can dry them, you can bottle them, yeah, you yes, can sort of take it over the garden. What would you do with a fig tree? I mean, I, there's actually very differing views on when you do them, aren't there? Yeah, I mean, the, traditionally they're, they're restricted in the roots. So you restrict the the roots of the tree are held in sort of a literally a pot under the ground. So you sink paving slabs in there, and that will restrict the amount of um, top growth. Is yours restricted, Sue, at all? No, didn't know this no. When, when we bought it. Okay. <clears throat> well, the problem is then is no matter how hard you cut it back, it's always going to make quite a lot of um, of growth on the thing, and right. um, the regrowth will be. Um, Even will more reflect, will ref- yeah, it will reflect the, the roots growth which is already existing there that's why I try and restrict the roots because they are a very big uh, and a very, very vigorous tree when it comes down to it and if you've yeah, got it in yeah. a situation where it's happy and it's fruiting that is the difficulty so when would right. you prune it then I mean there's very different some people do it in winter hmm. and a lot of people do it in the summer yeah I think there's they bleed the basis, in the summer on, on, yeah they do they do and they bleed a sort of late, latex sap but hmm. it, it's not a major problem uh, that said but I would tend to if you're trying to restrict it from the point of view of the, the dimensions of it you can cut it back now I would right. avoid uh, though having said that heading it all back because what yeah. you want to do is you want to take out bigger uh, heavier sort of the more dominant branches and try and encourage those which are existing uh, still existing there to, to grow and carry on a normal growth pattern if oh, you good. head it all back, you start crap. to make a hedge, yeah. which it will cause you ultimately more problems when it comes to pruning. And then you can always go back in the winter and tidy it up and really get the framework that you want. But the, the trick is really possibly even because you've got such a vigorous plant on its own roots, you might want to be looking at you know looking twice a year for pruning. All right. Right. Yeah, that's lovely. Many thanks. Okay. Enjoy your figs. And Alan from Hoddesdon, we're talking. What are we talking about? Caterpillars. Uh, yeah, morning, guys. Uh, yeah, I saw one this morning on one of my cabbages. It was about three quarters of an inch long, not very fat, and it was striped like a wasp, uh, black and yellow. Never seen them before. Ah, no, no, that's not. Co- what, what do you say? You saw it on cabbages. Oh, cabbages. Well, actually, it, it was next to the cabbages. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Now, what you describe if it's black and yellow stripes, sort of like hoops round it. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's um, the larvae of a cinnabar moth, and that feeds on ragwort. Oh, right. So have you got oh, any that... ragwort in your garden? Is it any good to keep or not let keep? Well, well, it'll, it'll only eat ragwort. It will occasionally, if it's short of food, it will transfer to um, to eating um, groundsel. So it's, it's always eating things which are... Um, pests. Pests. I mean, ragwort's <laughs> the only... It's the only weed to be named in the title of an Act of Parliament. There's a Ragwork Control Act. That's I think right. it's—I uh, can't remember what year it was. And I'm saying 2003. I might be wrong there. But the the, the uh, caterpillar itself—if they get too crowded on a ragwort, they actually start to eat each other. They're quite a voracious thing. And the the adults are these um, day flying moths with red and black wings that you see around. So quite pretty. Oh, so. Yeah, seen those. Yeah. Yeah, so so it must be eating either groundsel or it's eating the um, uh, the, the ragwort. So don't worry about your. But it won't eat your cabbages. Won't eat your cabbages. Right. Okay. Thanks. A quick one. Uh, now the strawberries are finished. Should I cut all the leaves off? I mean, they're very very vigorous and uh, really a lot of leaves. What you, you normally do is just pull the dead pull the dead leaves. Pull off. last year's leaves off or the very early leaves. They'll be starting to go a bit red and ragged around the edges. So you yeah, can take those the off. Green one. And any dead material, and take any runners off. But not the green ones. Yeah. If you want to go 
strawberries and you want to put them in a bed elsewhere, rather than lifting the ones you've got, you can always peg down runners and you can peg them down, sink a pot of compost into the ground and peg them Actually, down into I've that. I've already started doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, 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 but I mean, for the rest of them, just leave the plant vigorous because all the time it's attached by that runner, it's transferring what we call, technically it's called photoassimilate, which is like sugars and uh, sort of what the plant's uh, making in terms of needing to grow. And it's transferring that to the, um, to the offspring. As soon as you've um, got all those plants and you've grown them on elsewhere, you can then, if you're going to dig up the strawberries and use the bed for something else, you know, or if you're going to try and get a second crop out of them, it's, it's advisable to try and rotate your strawberries around because there's quite a few soil-borne pests and diseases that we can suffer from. Oh, right. I didn't know that. OK, then. Thank you All very right. much. OK. OK, that's Alan from Hodderstone. And that number to call is 0800 111 <coughs> Sue in Hullbridge. We're talking about fruit trees, aren't we? We are indeed, yes. Hello, guys. Hi. Um, I, I, I was inquiring to start with about an apple and then a pear tree, but I've, I've just taken a look at the apple tree and it is completely dead now. <laughs> it's about 20 foot tall. So my question on that is going to be, um, how is, is it safe to leave it standing for the wildlife? Is it good for the wildlife? Or is it best just to rip it out completely? Um, it's a time question on this one because um, smaller twigs will fall off quite quickly because they'll rot. Um, if you're leaving standing dead wood, it's advisable to shorten it back. This is for any, not just apples. Shorten it back to a framework of um, relatively large branches near to the, the main stem. And what you have to do is just check the stability of them from time to time. Eventually it will fall down because the roots, of course, are the only thing anchoring it and That's they're right. rotting away. Rot. So... Mm. Standing deadwood can stand for, I mean, old oak trees oh, yeah. stand for, you know, decades yeah, sometimes, right. you know. But uh, an apple tree, you're looking at maybe five to eight years before you might be thinking it might be, fall over. Might, might be time to convert it into a log pile. Oh, right, and, and is it good for the wildlife, leaving it? There? Yeah, now it is. Certainly yeah, we know about log piles and, yeah. and, and, and uh, stumps in the ground, what they're good for, because standing deadwood also has a lot of um, beetles which are uh, in, under, ecologically important. Under the bark and stuff like that. Ab absolutely. It? The thing is, what people worry about, of course, one of those beetles is something called a woodworm. So, right. <laughs> so, and you often get woodworm in old apple trees. You do, you? yeah, yeah. So, I mean, oh. you, if you, what you need to do then is make sure if you are going to leave it for the wildlife, any wood which you don't want to sacrifice to the wildlife is treated. And you can get the woodworm treatment, it's perfectly safe to use, paint it on there, and that will protect um, timber which we want other than for wildlife. But yeah, it's perfectly safe to, to leave it there. All right, Sue? Right. And can I ask on the pear tree? Um, Again, it's about 20 foot tall. It is very old. Part of it is dead now, but there's enough of it still alive. It, it didn't fruit last year, and I don't think it will this year at all. Um, but can I cut back the dead wood now, or should I be leaving that? Well, yeah, I mean, you can, you can yeah. Wood, I mean, the, yeah. The thing with it's not as vital with apples and uh, pears, cherries and things like that you have to cook them this time of the year because of yeah. um, the transfer diseases. It's not really the same issue with um, things like pears. But if you're cutting off dead wood, you can do it any time of the year. So just get. Yeah. Yeah. So just remembering which bits are dead. No, Sue, yeah. like Sue, well cut. So as you can see, they're dead now. Sue, cut them off. All right. Brilliant. That's lovely. Thank you very much for your help. Not a problem. That's Sue in Hullbridge, and we go to Steve in Southend. What are we talking about, Steve? Um, good morning, both of you. Passion flower. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I've never grown one before. Uh, it's about a year old. It's flowered. It's producing big green seed pods. Yeah. Do I do I remove them to promote more flower, or do I leave them? Uh, it won't. It won't really do that. The passion flower actually. Um, if it, the best thing to do is keep keep it fed and watered, and it'll flower all the way through the summer. You've, I'm presuming you've got Passiflora cerulea, the um, the blue passion flower. Yeah, blue and yellow. Yeah, 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 yeah. Those fruits you can remove them if you want, but they, it, it doesn't it, make it, any difference. It won't, it won't make it flower more or less, whether they're right. on there or not. Right, so they are edible, but they don't taste very nice. No, they're boring. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, they, but you know, they just taste insipid. You know, yeah. they're not like the um, the, the dewless one, which got a lovely, um, sharp, uh, juicy yeah. sort of fruit on Some them. Some people can make jelly out of them. But yeah, I don't think I'd bother. Quite honestly, yeah. they're not exciting. Yeah, but they do got a nice sort of um, orangey yellow colour. Yeah, lovely colours. Yeah. Right, feed them with uh, tomato food or. 
You can do, yeah, yeah. Uh, and any balanced fertiliser will do, but I mean, tomato food, is uh, it, it's as good as any from the point of view of flowering, yeah. So that's Steve from South End, and we go to Jean from Burnham. We're all down the coast, have you noticed? Yeah, that's We've been running yeah. down the coast. <laughs> <laughs> Burnham, hello, Jean. Um, right, I've got hydrangea scales on my, um, on one, just one of my hydrangeas, which is uh, where it has all those white, fluffy, sticky... Yeah, muscle, fluffy. Uh, white muscle scales. There's a lot yeah. around yeah. at the moment. Yeah, yeah. it's horrible, and, and it's got a lot of it. I have, I've drenched it with uh, something, bug, with some bug killer once, mm-hmm. and I've sprayed it with alternate bug killer probably twice, but they're still there. I don't know if... They're now, it's now dead. Yeah, now, it's, now, it's really difficult, isn't what, it? What you're seeing, actually, those, those fluffy white scales are actually no longer... The, the insect that made them is no longer alive. It's a female. What it does is it makes an egg case underneath it and dies. The body of the female is like this scale which protects the offspring. As they then start to, um, to, to hatch and develop, this one, the white fluffy mass comes out. Now... The real issue is that you can protect. You have to protect a plant for quite some time after that because it forms this crawler stage, which moves around over there. It's practically invisible. You can't see the, the thing. They're very small, and that's what makes the next generation. So, what you, if you keep on trying to kill the previous generation, you sort of it, it literally was like you know flogging a dead horse or something like that. It's not actually going to improve matters. So you have to make sure that you're investing into the next, you know, stopping the next generation coming along. So it's not a bad idea to treat it regularly through the uh, the summer in order to try and remove the problem. Right. And so if those, those and if it's if it's a very large bush, which is quite large, I sometimes thin it out yeah. at the base to give yourself a bit more room to work on the yeah. problem of scale for the future. Right. Yeah. All right. right. Okay. So that those white things won't drop off now. No, no. they're pretty firmly stuck on. So I mean, it's just one of those mm-hmm. things. They'll last right the way through the winter if you and um, even ones from this year. So. Right. Okay. So just keep spraying. <laughs> yeah, keep, keep on it. That's what's what it's all about. It's time now for Plant of the Week. Convolvulus cenorium, silver bush, it's often called. It's in the family of the bindweed, which could put you off, but don't be put off. It's a hardy evergreen and it's got, it's, uh, it spreads about a couple of feet and it can grow if you look after it really well, two to three feet high. So it's sort of two by two. Um, it's a tidy sort of plant and it's got cup-shaped white flowers with pale yellow centres. They flower from late spring right into the autumn. Now, the good thing about this plant is that they tolerate extremely dry areas. So they're quite useful if you're on perhaps a seaside position or something like that where it gets uh, nice drying winds. It works very well indeed. Also great as a patio plant. Uh, the leaves look good even in winter. If you're planting it in the ground, I would say it prefers an alkaline soil. Interestingly, it originated, and I mentioned coastal, didn't I? Because it's a coastal plant from the sort of Sicily Isles, uh, um, Croatia, Albania, and all around there, and can even be found growing in the cracks of rocks. So it's pretty tough. So that's convolvular silver bush. Look out for it. Go on, go and get one and brighten up your garden with a bit of silver. Let's now go to John in Chelmsford. Hello, John. Uh, good morning, guys. Um, I have grown a, a walnut tree. Mm-hmm. It's about 15 years old. It's standing in the pot about seven, eight foot. And it's now got a walnut on it. What's the best thing to feed the tree on to develop the nut? Just just any general purpose um, fertiliser. I mean, trees are, are fairly... Um, in a pot, obviously, you have to feed them a bit more, but tre- trees are fairly self-reliant. I mean, when you get walnut trees in uh, orchards, all you really feed them is... Uh, you might put down a, a general purpose feed or something Not like that. Not much but, else, is it? But, but n- normally maybe just mulch them with some leaf mould or something or whatever else, or just leave them to it, because they do become fairly self-reliant. They form a, an association with um, fungus in the soil, which helps to feed them. In a pot, that doesn't happen as readily, so just a, an ordinary um, sort of uh, fertiliser that you might use for any um, plant. But what I would avoid, because you've got a tree in a pot, try and avoid things like the, the famous market branded one which claims to make plants twice as big. You don't need that. All right, because it's you, an ordinary feed. Yeah, so you, that could... Uh, some, 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 one of the... Um, uh, the, the 
um, temperature release ones, a resin uh, coated uh, fertilizers, spread some around the surface and top dress the pots, usually sufficient for a year. How big a pot's it in, um, John? It's in a 14 inch. And it's how high? It's in the pot, it's about seven and a bit feet high. I reckon you should repot that in the autumn. Yeah, it's yeah. It's too small a pot, I think, for it as well. Is there a reason why you're growing it in a pot and not having it in the ground? Um, well, yeah, I haven't seen the size of what they are. I, I like, you know, I've got a, uh, a chestnut in a little bonsai tray and that's about 30 years old yeah, oh yeah, I see yeah. so you're growing them for that okay yeah. no that makes sense then so don't repot it if you're yeah. trying to keep it controlled and then yeah. I imagine you take them out the pot prune a bit of the roots off and pop it back in uh, well I haven't done for a few years can do yeah, that but that I mean, that's help. the thing if you what you can't do with a tree I don't know if you heard earlier on with the fig tree that we're talking about what you cannot do is you can't um, prune the roots of a fig you have to uh, constrain them in the ground and that stops the top growth because roots and shoots are proportionate in terms of the amount of um, live growth they have on them so if you want to um, rather than pot it onto progressively bigger and bigger pots you can actually take it out and in the winter time really I would say and prune yeah. the roots a little bit carefully put some new compost into there a nice sort of John Innes type compost something with some loam in it Feed it in the spring, top dress it, maybe with a slightly, you could use leaf mould or you could use, um, you know, it's an ordinary potting compost, and that should be sufficient for it. And you can actually do some pruning at both ends, so to speak. Okay, that's hopefully sorted John with his walnut tree, and we go to David in Whittam. Fuchsias we're talking, is that right, David? Good morning, gentlemen, yes, that is correct. Uh, outside the bungalow under the windowsill, I've got a fuchsia which seems to be growing bigger and bigger each year. Now, I would like to take that out and replant it in the front garden to uh, give it a lot more room to sort of grow and bush out. When do I do that, please? Uh, we do it late winter. If you're going to... Uh, fuchsias, it depends what sort of soil you're growing it on. Are you in a clay soil or a sandy soil? Uh, well, not being a gardener, I don't really know. I just uh, is, is it very wet or does it drain? Hope for the best. <laughs> All right. I mean, the thing is, you, you really want to do it spring toward, towards the spring. I was going to say, if it's a very sandy soil, you might get away with doing it um, during the winter. But on a clay soil, it, it doesn't like to be just sat in the wet once it's been moved, because a, a lot of the roots which you're going to have to cut through to dig that up are, are going to sort of rot back a little bit if it's moved too early. So the trick is to move it. When I say spring, I'm talking really about sort of late February, early March, so the end of the winter. Move it then, and it will start to form um, new growth. It will uh, from the top. It will start to grow if it's a particularly hardy one. It should start to grow from the base. When you move it, you need to cut it back quite hard as well, okay, to make sure that it grows from the base, and it will start to form new roots from t towards the sort of uh, the, the top of the root mass. It will start to form new roots, which will then grow down into the soil. That's the time to do it, but. It, I mean, you say it's, you want to move around to the front. Is that because it's getting so big, or is it just because you want to show it off more? No, it, it's, it's because it's getting big at the moment. It's, yeah. it's you can prune it, you know. Uh, you, you can prune them back really hard. You can, prune them back, you can prune them back really hard and they'll shoot from the base. If yeah. It's just a matter of size, yeah. Just Now's not really the best time of the year to do it, but March next year, go out there, cut it back to about something in the region of about four to six inches above the ground it'll shoot from the base that's brilliant because at the moment it's growing across the path and when the postman sort of walked from one bungalow to the other it's uh you know he's going to stand on it mm. and i don't want it damaged yeah so the tip is don't worry about pruning it but also if you're going to uh move it do it in spring yeah if you and if it's in the way of the postman now you can always cut those bits out of the way just for now and then you give it a really it. good pruning in the spring well, let's okay. hopefully help David from Whittam, and we now go to Colin in Harwich. Colin is growing, I'm right, uh, some international kidney, King Edward. He's off on holiday. Is it right, Colin? Off for a month? Yes, yes, off for a month. Uh, you've sent us some pictures which we have looked at, yes. and yeah. we think if you look at the stems, I was looking at the tips first. The tips might not have been, but Mick... And uh, Mick has pointed out that there's some lesions on the yeah, stems. Yeah, it does aren't look an Mick? awful lot like um, what we call late blight. Now, which is actually um, it's quite early for it to it occur. Is, isn't it? Um, 
It's probably not spreading the same way it normally would, simply because of the um, the weather's been a bit unusual, very dry. It normally likes slightly moister weather conditions. Um, my my tip would be to cut the the foliage back, but don't don't compost it or anything. Get to cut it back and get rid of it, you know, very quickly, straight down yeah. to the uh, the council tip, stick it into the green waste uh, thing. And yeah. um, then go on holiday and enjoy. Yeah, you might you might find a shoot a bit from the base again for the bottom of the uh, stems, and if it's completely clear of it, they won't be affected because the, the pathogen spreads through the air. Right. Yeah. My concern is I'm going away Wednesday. For That's a right. Month. We said you're yeah. going to yeah. get out there now yeah. and do yeah. it. Right. There's, there's no right. time for hanging about because it spreads quite quickly. So yeah. off at the ground level, off at ground level, clear mm. it away, get it away from the garden completely, and then go on holiday Wednesday and enjoy your holiday, and it should all be yeah. fine when you get back. Can I leave some of the, the potatoes in the ground? Oh, you leave them leave all in the ground. ground yeah. Leave them all in the ground. Don't yeah. touch yeah. them. You might get a little bit of regrowth from... If you've ridged them, you might get a little bit of regrowth from the ridge. If you haven't, you might get a little bit of regrowth at ground level. Um, but the, what you won't get is huge potatoes, but you will get some potatoes. If you if you don't do that, you'll get no potatoes because it'll spread right down and it can affect the tubers. All right. Yes, I was also con uh, concerned. The, the the actual potato bed is only about 10 foot away from my greenhouse with all my tomatoes. Is that um, the same blight, is it? It's or the same blight, yes. Oh, it needs to come out then, doesn't it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's early, it affects it's early both the things, season. Yeah, yeah. You obviously can't have holidays in the summer. Where are you off to anyway? Oh, Anywhere nice? Um, Russia again. Okay. I guess you might be. I guess you might be. <laughs> you have a good trip anyway, and let us know how you get on when you get back. Okay? Okay, David. Cheers, Bye-bye no there. Bye. Uh, got in for a marriage. <laughs> Off to Russia again. Uh, right, let's go to John in Whittam. We're talking plums with John. Aren't we, John? Yeah, good morning. Morning. Um, I've got a, a plum tree, and I've suffered with a leaf curl. Yep. And I wonder what I could do to uh, prevent it next season. Only last year I've got about 300 plums. This year I'm lucky if I've got 18 yeah, it's been a bit of um, a bit the dryness. I think is the uh, one of the problems this year for a lot of the um, stone fruits. It, it, it's just been uh, Essex basically has, has had very little moisture at all over the last, I would say, eighteen months really compared to normal. We had those thunderstorms a few weeks ago, and it just wasn't enough. It's not penetrated down into the ground, so that might be a lot of the problem with why you've not got the plums. Uh, oh. the, the curl uh, is um, it's aphid isn't it, it, it can, can be aphid yeah. a, I mean, how much plums do you get peach leaf curl I can't remember no. I've got the, but you know, no. they don't really get no, it so, don't. So, so it's usually it's just usually aphid. just aphids on there yeah so it's not really a major thing I wouldn't unless people you, don't bother no because unless you've seen a load of fruit falling onto the ground and you thought there's my fruit crop if it's just not on the tree and it's not on the ground it never was there and it's probably more to do with the season uh, is there anything uh, I could do to prevent it not really, no. I, well, plums will always attract aphid. They'll yeah. get this curl. Um, most people do not bother that much about spraying it. I mean, in yeah. theory, if you spotted it early enough, you could spray with a proprietary contact spray. But, but the, most problem, the problem don't there is, of course, then that pollinators can be affected because right. the time of the it's year the, when it's blooming. And then after that, if you're spraying it, you know, it might be taken up into the uh, fruit itself. I don't uh, think the lack of plums this year is to do with the curling of the leaves, if you see what I mean. I know that the problem is you can see two things together and you associate them. I know years ago I got sent a picture of a woodlouse in a potato as when I worked on a, a, um, a vegetable growing magazine. And um, we said, this woodlouse has been eating the potato. potato. And I, so I wrote a thing saying, um, sorry, it isn't. It's not that was done like as a keel slogan. The woodlouse has just gone in there because it's a handy little place for it to go. And then I got all these people writing to me saying, like, you know, you don't know what you're talking about, Lavelle. I found um, these in there. Ipso facto, the uh, uh, cheesy burgers, we often call them here, the woodlouse is in there. And it's nothing to do with the hole in the potato. No, you've got two <laughs> problems there that yeah. have happened. Uh, they coincided, yeah. but the bad plum crop is just a bad plum crop yeah. this year. And the other thing is, when when's the ideal time to prune the plum tree. I don't mind any, getting a bit big. Uh, around about now, because it, it, now, in it? fact, this year has been a great year for pruning plums because it's been dry. It's the, it's, it's the, if you've got, if you've got rain on the forecast in the next week or so, don't prune them, wait till afterwards. We can do it any time now. We just like to be, normally we say around about late June, July, because it's often dry this time of the year for pruning them. Just prune them when the weather's dry this okay. time of the year. Okay. Um, 
Thank you very much. Not a problem. That's a pleasure. It's John from Whitham, and we go to where are we going now? I'll tell you where we're going. We're going to just mention this email because I had an email from Jean Pettit. Showed your picture. Looks like a hollyhock, didn't it? At least it's yes. a hollyhock family, isn't it? Um, that's Gene Pettit. What do you reckon? Hollyhock, didn't we? We thought, yeah. Well, what a, it's I in mean, the same family, anyway. It certainly looked like a hollyhock. I mean, there are a few things in the uh, the, the Malvasi, which is the Mallow family, which which have a similar sort of growth when it's young. Um, it's certainly, you know, Look, it's, it's one of those things. <laughs> it looks like a hollyhock, smells like it. a hollyhock. It's a hollyhock. Yeah. So we think it is, yes. We think it's a hollyhock. So, uh, Jean, you've been given a hollyhock. Let's go to Hillary in Colchester. Hello, Hillary. Hi, uh, can you hear me? Yes, yep. we can. Okay, I've got something weird growing on my hydrangeas, and it sort of looks like, I don't know, a bit like polystyrene, about maximum half a centimetre long with black at one end, and I'm yeah. not sure whether it's a polystyrene caterpillar or what. No, it's sort of fluffy, it's sort of fluffy almost, with a, with a shiny bit towards the top end. Is that what you're describing? Possibly. Yeah, because it sounds like the muscle scale we were talking about before. The only other thing... Oh, well, I just tuned in, so I didn't hear that. No. I think it is that. It's yeah, it's a, if, if, if what you've got looks like a little sort of... almost like a little scale at one end, which is uh, usually dark, blackish or, yeah. or bark-coloured, and then you've got, coming out of it, you've got what looks... They say it's like polystyrene, but if it's sort of... If you look closely, if it's a bit fluffy, um, right, that's probably yeah. muscle scale. Right, so what can I do about it? Spray. You can spray it now to those, those scales you see are actually last year's um, females, which laid eggs underneath them and formed a, a sort of an egg case, which lasted right the way through uh, the winter. They start to erupt right. when it gets warm, and the scales, the young crawler scales that come out are almost invisible. You can hardly see them. But they're the ones yeah. which will... Um, the, the males can actually, if I remember rightly, the males can fly. It's quite a complex mm. lifestyle. But the... Uh, life cycle, I mean. But they, um, they are able to um, to move around on the plant. They feed on the plant. You can't really see them until such time as the females have got eggs fertilised and start to form the permanent scale and swell legs underneath. It's like a, a sort of nuclear bunker for them. They're, they're really well protected under there, and they're not feeding, and the offspring aren't feeding. So at that stage, spraying will have no effect on them. So what you really need to do then is to um, to spray it now, so that yep. when they're feeding, that you can actually deal with the the young ones. All right. And if and if what it's a spray them with. Just any proprietary. Well, you, you're limited to what you can use. You know, I'm, uh, uh, I'm actually legally allowed to re uh, recommend well, things to you, but I can say I go mean, to a garden centre. Yeah, there's things yeah. like pro to give you a couple. Yeah. There's Provado yeah. or there's Bug Clear Ultra. There's yeah. two that should yeah. affect them. But if you go to a garden centre, they'll give you advice on. Uh, you can you can go in and ask for those, and they'll sell them to you because they're an amateur product. But if there's any other products which are specifically recommended for it, a, a good retail centre should be able to tell you. All right. Okay. okay. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Thank you very much. Back to your gardening questions in just a little while, but uh, now on the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast, we've got some top tips on things you could be getting on with in the garden this week. Mick, what's your first one? Well, this one is, is looking ahead. It's difficult to look ahead in July, isn't it? It's all we lovely to, weather, and yeah. you think, oh, it's, the summer's going to last forever. Where are you going then, looking ahead? Well, first off, to the autumn, I think. Um, we don't think about bulbs in the autumn. Bulbs always seem to spring to mind for, for spring, literally, and the summer. But the autumn's got some real beauties you can put in. Things like uh, colchicums, yeah. uh, the, uh, the, the meadow saffrons, right to call it, uh, autumn crocuses, the true crocus autumnalis, stonebergias, amaryllis, nerine. They are all bulbs which we really can make good use of in the September, October time. Very underused, aren't they, actually? They are. I think people haven't got it in their mind. It's like the, I think the problem is early on we start to think about bulbs and we think about spring bulbs and some of these as well things like the autumn crocus people aren't aware of the fact you can actually get crocuses which naturally bloom this time of the year now it's a good time of the year to go out and buy them they should be in the larger garden centers and good quality nurseries it's always useful to go in and have a look if you can make sure you get nice plump firm bulbs uh, things like colchicums are expensive but they have a lot of flowers on them they last year in year out uh, and so it's worthwhile buying them now and uh, planting them according to the instructions given because so often the Green's a good example, isn't it? You drive down the road and you say, oh, look at that lovely pink, bright 
you know, it, it brightens up your garden in the autumn. Yeah. yeah. But we haven't bought them, have we? No, it's too late. They're then. in their garden yeah. flowering. I mean, you know? the thing is as well, those wonderful pinks and things that show up so yeah. well on dull autumn days. You know, they really are a sort of a, a great thing to have in the garden. So it's my get tip out now is get out and buy bulbs. Yeah, autumn flowering bulbs. Right. What else should we be doing then? Well, I did say that we were going to look ahead, and so on the subject of bulbs, I mentioned spring bulbs. You did mention it. Well, I think that's <laughs> the other thing we should be looking forward to now. Bit too early in July to go out and buy any. If you're going out buying bulbs now, um, basically you've got bulbs which are from last year. So if you see them in, you know, sort of, uh, let's say, some of our discount retailers, uh, where you Don't might not, them. you might not spend more than uh, ninety nine or pence or a pound. I would say just avoid them because of the last year's stock, they might grow. Certainly, I used to grow catalogue returns and things like that, and they, they sometimes do grow. But if you're going to go out and spend your money, go out and spend it wisely. The good thing now is that the bulb catalogues are all being prepared. And if you buy the mail order, you will get good stock. So certainly uh, they've got the reputation uh, to worry about. So. And they're sent out at the right time as well. They are sent out, exactly. They're sent out when they need to be planted. Mm. So if you ordered, say, for instance, daffodils, tulips, you know, sort of hyacinths, they would come out, uh, the the daffodils would come out in September, the hyacinths October, the tulips November, when they need to be planted. And the good thing about the catalogues, you have a look at them, we've got good pictures of them, you'll see whether you buy an A-grade bulbs or second-class bulbs, Uh, you will be able to buy them according to the, the the prices they give, and you will be able to make sure you get the ones you want. So if there's a particular type of water lily tulip which you've seen and you want to get, order it through the catalogue, you'll get it. Going around the garden centres can be a bit hit and miss, and of course if it's got a nice picture on it, people will buy them quickly. Okay, they are. Get ready for spring, and also don't forget the autumn. I think that's the message, isn't it, Mick? Indeed, indeed. And enjoy the summer. The Gardening Hour podcast on BBC Essex with Ken Crowther. And we go to Bill in Ingrave. We're talking futures again. Is that right, Bill? That's correct, yes. Um, I just heard you speaking to another chap there about futures. Yeah. Um, I've got three futures in my garden. Mm-hmm. One, one of them um, is... 20 plus years old yep. last year we didn't have as many flowers as we normally get this year we, I can almost count them on both hands yeah it's dry very, very small buds yeah it's very uh, dry I, I do I do cut it down at the end of January February yeah and I feed it with um, uh, farmyard manure and compost a mm-hmm. mixture of two yeah. And, uh, but as I say, I've got hardly any flowers at all this year, and I'm wondering whether they go barren after a certain time. No, we should, I mean, how can I put it? My mother in Blackpool's got one, which um, is a forms a hedge at the front of the house, and it, um, it's been there all my life. I'm 54, so. <laughs> it was there when my grandfather planted it, you know. So they do last a very long time. There's no two ways about it if you've got a hardy future. What? concerns me this year is that we say can I just ask you, is the new growth, is it curling up and are the new leaves, uh, new leaves and it crinkly? No, no. No, that's all right. So you haven't got fuchsia, you haven't got fuchsia mite. No, we were just checking it could be something else. There's a thing called fuchsia mite, which has has been detected in Essex. It's still relatively uncommon. You're supposed to report it when you find it, it, because it's it's on the rise. Now, um, if it's not that, I would say that it's probably just the fact that it's just not rained enough in the last 18 months. And fuchsias grow best on the West Coast, okay, because they are from um, South America, from uh, uh, Patagonia, and uh, rainforest areas going up the, uh, the central part of um, South America, and they grow very, very well when there's plenty of rain. And we haven't had that. It's been dry, okay. it's been hot. And that's the pro- we've got the same problem at the university with uh, with our own fuchsias there. I've, I've planted a whole lot of fuchsias. I think this will look lovely. They've languished the last two years because it's just been a bit too dry for them. I see. So you can water it and it will help it, but you've just got to hope mm. that we get a bit more rain over the winter because the winter rain will really help it. OK, I Bill? See, yeah. All right. Lovely. Thanks very much. Really. That's a pleasure. That's a pleasure, Bill. And we can now go to Chris... In Colchester. Hello, Chris. Hi. Good morning, gentlemen. Uh, enjoy the programme. It's Good. not long enough since they cut you down. Well, uh, we all get... Following we... up on the, uh, <laughs> the potato blight one, I've lost la- uh, two rows of Lady Crystal and one of sh- two rows of Charlotte. Oh. Yeah. Uh, shortly after that very hot day we had... 
Oh, matters. and the humidity was up on that the hot day, wasn't it? Up. Yes. Interestingly, the, yeah. the whole lot has gone yellow and tumbled down, so I've yeah. taken the tops off, uh, left the potatoes in, and a uh, little bit further away, I had four rows of main crop, uh, Pentland Javelin, yep. which I sprayed, mm-hmm. uh, and also the pink fir apple I sprayed. Yep. It slowed it up, but there's still the odd leaf going brown, and uh, I think it'll slowly work its way through that main crop as well. But uh, yeah. Have I you... know of people in uh, Fing- uh, Wivenhoe that lost them all on their allotments. Yeah. And I'm just thinking there, because what, what happened was the, um, the the humidity it blew yeah. up from um, over Spain and North it Africa, is. and it, if it's come from an area where the blight's already, it does a peculiar sort of uh, pattern around Europe. It usually spreads east for the first part of the summer and then starts to spread um, west. I think later on, if I remember correctly, I mean, anyone who's a potato blight specialist, I'm slapping the head now. Going, Lavelle knows nothing, you know. But, but there is there is an epidemiology about it. But but that sort of hot weather may have just spread it. It's just about a month earlier than we'd normally expect to see it. Yeah. First time in 15 years I've ever had a problem. Yeah, well, lots it, of people grow varieties now which yeah. are, are less prone to or they've got them out of the ground because it's called late blight, so it usually occurs comes a bit later. later in the year, yeah. Mm. Chris. All right, well, I just thought I'd follow up no, on that. The Chris, other thing was just, just a quick question. Yeah. On uh, my lavender plants, I've noticed a, a little black beetle, almost ladybird shape. It seems to be eating. Is that a, a, a known pest? I've Is not that, come across now it. Now, how tiny? Do you mean much smaller ladybird than ladybird? Ladybird size. Ladybird size? Oh. Yeah, average um, ladybird I thought she, size, he was talking about corn black, beetle, yeah. but not. But it appears to be eating the, uh, the, the, uh, the flower shoots. Because uh, you've got rosemary beetle, but rosemary beetle yeah. isn't black, is it? It's, no, it's, no, it's, it's, sort a, of it's a sort of goldy colour. Mm. Completely round. We'll draw in the blank. What what we have to do is I'll I'll have to have a think about it and maybe consult some people. I'm not aware of anything. Um, Quite quite a lot. uh, If if we come up with anything, uh, I'll I'll get. They've they've met their met their end, whatever. Whether they're or (laughs) both. Okay. Sometimes it doesn't matter what they are as long as you actually know what to do about them. But I mean, uh, if 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 I if I can find out what they are, I'll pass it on to Ken. He can uh, listen in next weekend. He'll be able to tell you hopefully. Okay, uh, let's now go to Alice in Canvey. Hello, Alice. Hello. Um, I've got a, a pear tree. It did come to me in a pot, but I decided to plant it in the ground, and it grew quite well. But um, it had this um, kind of... Um, started getting this kind of blight, which I treated with... Well, I didn't treat. I had a gardener. <laughs> Um, with um, like you get for um, black spot on roses mm-hmm. but apparently someone told me that you can't buy that kind of um, spray now is that right I can't get it um, I, well, not knowing what exactly the formulation was, I, could, I couldn't say, but I know that an awful lot of products which were available to amateurs, and indeed professionals, have been withdrawn. It affected the amateur market particularly because the um, the, the rules for, uh, for certification uh, means it's very expensive to bring a product onto the market or even to re um, uh, get recertificated an existing product because it has to be tested for its safety, its environmental safety, etc. And the return on the amateur products is so low that it just wasn't worth them doing it. Do you think it's brown rot she's got? Um, I don't know. Because that gives yeah. them browns. Well, the, the, the thing is, it was a it was a particular kind of, of pear. It was latish. Well, What's yeah. the brown spot like on the leaf? You said it's is, on the leaf or on it, the is fruit? It, is it right at the tip of the, um, the, the leaf? Uh, the, the no, branch? it was at the leaf. It, it, it kind of um, curled round. Um, and was, was um, it right at the tip of the branch, though, or was it um, so? It so almost it sort of cur- died back a bit because you get this. Um, I'm sure it's called blossom tip wilt, which is the um, the, the same as is no, so it's the same as brown brown rot. Maybe I think it's the same as that. Do your pears get affected with brown rot? Oh, uh, see, I, I, the trouble is I can't see now, and um, right. I haven't got a gardener. But I, I did have I did have pears on it last year, quite a few, and they're funny. They're they're really shaped like a, like a dumpling kind of thing. Oh, right, yeah, even. Yeah. But they're very, and the skins are very hard. But they're lovely once you peel them. Well, 
the thing is uh, don't worry about the brown spots what you need to worry about is the fruit so when the fruit appear you know when the fruit is bigger and you're likely to pick it give us another call if you've got a problem with the fruit and then perhaps we can help apparently, you apparently according to i mean i can't see as i said when i was telling my daughter i said you know uh, I, I, you know what, what am i going to do about the pear tree this year so she said to me there aren't any pears on it no um, so, um, uh, but the tree is quite vigorous, um, and um, I, I don't—I really don't know what to do about um, spraying it with something. I wouldn't, that. honestly. I wouldn't worry. I would just get someone in. If you can't do it yourself in the autumn, just see that when it drops its leaves, you pull yeah. them all together. Yeah. and don't leave them in the garden send them away to the council and that way you've alleviated mm -hmm. a lot of the disease mm -hmm. problems yeah, a lot of these things go in a cycle where yeah. it enters the soil and then all right mm. all right well, well when you say send in the council you mean put them in the, in the green garden, in your garden bags or in, your green waste bin or, whatever yeah, whatever all oh, right all yep. right yes thank you very much thank no you. Problem. that's problem alice but i mean we worry too much about a lot of things and a lot of things in gardens you can just let i think sometimes it's we've got this it. kind of like blemish free kind of attitude towards everything we have in produce and supermarkets and then we started to transfer that into plants <laughs> it just, just doesn't work are we you and i as garden as horticulturists <laughs> no. <laughs> uh penny from morden's got an acer tree haven't you penny what have you done to it oh hello hello uh, yeah i've got an acer um it's a it's quite a small one, um, about four foot high. It's planted in the ground. It's a lovely dark red colour. It looks very healthy, but it's going dark green. Um, and I'd just like to know why. Is it getting a bit more shade than it's got in the past? Is there something growing over, uh, uh, shading it out a bit? Um, no, it is, it is to the north of the house. Yeah. So it was, it, it's not in full sun by any means. It is this time of the year, though. It gets the sun. Is yeah, I mean, if it's, if, it's, if, it's a, if it's a red leaf form, it should stay red leaf. But a lot of plants which have got these red or purple leaf uh, uh, forms... Get greenish blush, if blush it, to yeah, them, Yeah, if they're not getting enough light, they start to... Because they have to have light. I mean, the fact that they look red doesn't mean that they're not green. It just means that the red is what we tend to see rather than the green that's in there as well. And we don't mean just sun. We mean light. There's a yeah. difference. Because yeah, aces don't yeah. like full sun yeah but they want good light so is there sh heavy shade where it is no oh. no it, it, in the winter yes but then in the winter of course it doesn't have any leaves on it anyway no no, I mean that, that's the most likely cause is not getting enough light. Yeah, can you? Yeah, it's okay. it's not disease related. And if if a plant's green, it's um, in essence, you're sort of saying, well, it's it's healthy because it can produce chlorophyll. If you want it to be more purple, it maybe needs a bit more light, but um. Other than that, I can't think what it might be. No, it, it looks perfectly healthy, so yeah. I think it's probably, as you say, not enough light. Yeah. OK, thank okay. you very much, Penny. Sorry we can't come up with anything startling on that one. Even feed won't make any difference. No, that, not at it? all, no. Uh, June from Clacton, sunny Clacton. What have you got growing in your garden, June? Oh, hello, Ken. Um, I've got a monkey tree. Yep. And it's about 15 foot high. It's a lovely thing. But the bottom branches, Ken, are about four foot and they're all dangling out onto the gravel. Now, yep. can these be cut down? I don't want to ruin the tree. Or can they be um, cut right off? Or do yeah. They better cut off. right yeah. off, aren't well, they? I mean, if you've got... In Clacton, you haven't got that much in the way of um, urban pollution because of the proximity to the sea and you get the wind, etc. So, I mean, they will tend to form branches right the way down to the ground. What happens when you've got a lot of pollution? The lower branches start to die they off die quite back, readily. So it forms a stem. Okay, right. and now if you've not got the pollution doing that for you, you can remove them. But what I would do, you'll notice they're all in whirls. All right, I would go to the bottom whirl of branch. Well, whirls, I mean, they're all coming out the same part of the branch at the same height. I yeah. go to the lowest one and remove all of those. I've, unless it's really in the way now, if you're just thinking, should I do it, shouldn't I do it, I would leave it until the um, the spring, really, because that's the, the, the ideal time to do it. Um, but you can do it now. If you're in the way, you can do it now. And you cut those off almost to the stem, but don't cut them right flush to the stem. Leave just the, the very shorter stump on there, because the, as the tree thickens, it will grow around that, and it won't damage the stem at all. Yes, because okay? I don't want to ruin it, because at the moment, it's very close to a pyrocancer, 
and where the branches are laying on the floor, like right to the ground in the shingle, all the leaves are collecting in there. Yeah, but, I yeah. mean, if you thought I would ruin it, I'd leave it. No, 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 no you, you can't won't do it, but, but it's... Do it one whirl at a time. So one year, do one whirl next year, until you get it to the height, clearance height that you want. And do it in the spring. That's really okay. important. We'll be back to calls and texts and emails very shortly, but let's take a final look at the tips that Mick has for us this week. Well, yeah, back to um, the spring again, of course. It seems I'm eternally, despite it being the midst of summer at the moment, I'm looking back to the, or onward to the spring. Um, pruning, uh, things like wisteria, we see them, they look absolutely resplendent around about um, April, May time, depending on where you are in the country, and you see them, you think, oh, I wish mine looked like that. Now is the time to make sure that it does. If you've got a wisteria planter or if you're planning to grow one even you have to be prepared to do something around about mid-july onward because they and grow really vigorously don't they, they? they are immensely vigorous because there's certainly there's one at wisley which we've allowed to grow to its full height and it covers about four trees and i think they've allowed this because <laughs> part of their mission to show just how big plants grow you do not want that on your house or on your no. the back of your fence or anything like that. so it needs to be uh, trimmed back quite tightly and what we do with this all the extending growths which are uh, growing uh, a fast rate of knots now those should be shortened back to about between four and six buds really so it's a judgment call so you've got an even sort of um, growth pattern over there um four buds is sufficient six if it's uh, uh, if it's maybe against the wall once you've done that um you need to be prepared to maybe do that a couple more times all the way through to um into uh, august time it will soon slow its growth down but what the plant will do is it will start to form flowering buds on the remaining buds okay because it's had a bit of a shock it does respond well to this and then in the spring all you do is you cut it back to about three buds uh, which will, you'll see the big swollen flower buds and that will give you a very tight sort of waterfall cascade effect against the fence or the building which is precisely what you want from a wisteria and you get that fantastic wall of uh, those panicles of flowers fragrant in the evening and it's just what you want to try and achieve so remember it's it, you must act in july and august you mentioned buying them and mm. it's an interesting point that don't be afraid because they're not cheap if you buy a good one yes which is grafted indeed you need to buy a grafted one, don't you? Yes, you do. And you um, you need to make sure that you look after the first couple of years. You don't do much pruning, actually. It's just tying in, and um, the, the pruning you do is to form the shape of it. And what you're really doing is trying to get it to form a framework against the wall. After that, it'll start to go crazy this time of the year, and that's when you just start doing a real uh, heavy haircut on it. Uh, and the reason I said that is you can buy cheap wisterias but they're seedling varieties, aren't they? And they uh, can take 10 years to flower, can't they? They can, and depending upon what the seed is, of course, we, we, we don't always know. It's always from a cross. If it's a good quality seed, um, it may or may not be the sort of flower you want. The, the actual wisteria itself, wisteria sinensis, has got a sort of dullish, coppery... Um, uh, it's not a white quite it's a pale flower it's almost it's almost like a coppery pink flower and it's fragrant but it's not particularly beautiful what you want is these big fulsome uh, cultivar varieties so if, you, so if you're buying one watch it you buy the right one Yes, yeah, and make sure you put it somewhere where it, you've got space for it as well. What else we got then? Well, still on the subject of spring, on the subject of pruning, um, magnolias, we, we love them when we see them in the spring. Um, magnolias confuse the, 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 the bejeebs out of people when it comes down to how we are going to, uh, to prune them. And the real trick is with magnolias, firstly, if you don't think it needs pruning, then don't prune it. They don't respond particularly rapidly uh, to pruning. It's not, it's not like things like roses or indeed the wisteria just spoken about where pruning it judiciously will improve flowering the flowers won't be any bigger any more numerous if you prune it so you have to prune it because maybe if it's got a branch that's uh, rubbing or crossing or in the way of something if it's just slightly outgrown its situation shading something whatever it might be you can uh, prune it then and the trick is not to prune too much of it off don't head it back like shortening branches take whole branches out right to the point of origin so you're thinning it if you need to prune it don't take more than about a fifth off in any one go because the plant won't recover too well. And you always do it in July because otherwise it's one of these things. It's a bleeder. Unfortunately, it, it will dribble and dribble. Do it in the it? spring, it will be like a tap, for, a dripping tap for days and days. And that isn't a good situation for the plant. So the most important thing is that don't be afraid of magnolias because people are, aren't they? I mean, you said right at the beginning, people think, oh, it's a magnolia, it's special, I mustn't yeah. touch it. But the answer is yes, you can. Everything can be pure and basically. You can, yeah. Well, I mean, I should probably it's add that it's, it's the deciduous 
uh, yes. magnolias we'd cook this yeah. time of the year. You don't cook the, um, uh, the, the evergreen ones because we don't grow too many. It's only really at Magnolia Grandiflora we grow, and um, they they are pruned a little bit earlier and um, a little and late bit late on. Yeah, so. yeah. So you, see, you cook you, and you just trim those as needed. Really, but the real thing is that people are scared of doing these things, and we're saying don't be scared of doing it. Yeah. Do it if it's necessary. Yeah. Leave it alone if it's not. Yeah, I mean, you think you'll know the reasons why you need to prune it, if in terms of the, the, the plant you've got Straggly in your own possession, whatever it is. Yeah. But if you're wondering when, you know, you can get out this weekend. Mick says, <laughs> get out this weekend and do it. So thanks very much, Mick. Not a problem. Let's look at some of those events around the county. Now, don't forget that you can send your events to me two weeks in advance, please. Send to ken.crowther at bbc.co.uk or pop them in the post to me, Ken Crowther, P.O. Box 765, Chelmsford, CM2, 9XB. Uh, let's start off then with Rettenham Village Show. That's on the 13th of July. Uh, Rettenham Village Hall, incorporating the Rettenham Horticultural Society Summer Show. Uh, it's at the Cricket Ground, CM3, 8DP. Um, and our good friend Ray Clark will be opening the show at 1pm. Entertainment with live band, carousels, all sorts of things going on there. And as I mentioned before, the important thing about gardeners is the Retton Horticultural Society summer shows there as well. So they are. Go along to that. Uh, all kicks off with Ray opening it at 1 o'clock. That's Retton Village show 13th. Uh, let's look at something on Sunday, uh, Saturday the 13th and Sunday the 14th. And... Uh, on um, this is on behalf of John Spooner, and that is Karen Hughes's dad. For the past three years, he, along with my mum Barbara, have raised over three thousand pounds for the Macmillan Cancer su Support by holding an open garden day. Due to the fantastic response that he's gained, entry to the National Garden Scheme. His his garden will be open on Saturday the thirteenth and Sunday the fourteenth, from eleven o'clock till five thirty. Uh, There'll be live music as well. So they are, it doesn't tell me how much to get in, but they're usually about a fiver. It'd be great if uh, if you can get along there. Sorry, donations of £4 would be appreciated. And teas and refreshments. Can't ask for more than that, can you? So where's the address? 14 Una Road, Bowers Gifford, SS13 2HU. On Monday, the 15th of July... Uh, at 8pm, St Mary Magdalene Church, the Billericay Horticultural Society have got their talk, and their talk is on garden bugs, cohabit, control or conserve, and that's by Ian Bedford. Visitors are always welcome. £2 refreshments are available. That's the 15th at 8pm at the Magdalene Church, High Street, Billericay. So they are. There's some events going on. A couple of gardens worth a mention that are open every Thursday and Friday. Um, there's one at uh, Fearingbury Manor, Coggleshall Road, Fearing, Colchester, CO59RB, 10 acres of garden, well worth having a look. And you can uh, see across the River Blackwater. Barnard's Farm as well, Brentwood Road, West Horndon. Uh, that's open every Thursday as well, 7.50 for that. Uh, CM13, that is. So much to explore. Climb the Belvedere for the wider view and take the train through the woodland. There are lots of things going on there. There's a lovely Japanese uh, garden as well. Barnard's Miniature Railway, BMR. Go along there. Support the uh, garden scheme and you will all benefit from it. It gives out to charities and a lot of cancer charities as well. They are. Don't forget. You can get your event mentioned on air just by sending along to ken.crowther at bbc.co.uk. Just a quick one. I don't want to go on too much about this, but it's an interesting one that to Patrick's saying that in his garden, he's got a very... Um, he's tried to... A pollinating garden. In other words, it's butterflies. And yeah, yeah. He's trying to do his best. And he says he hasn't seen many bees, hoverflies, butterflies or ladybirds. Where are they all gone? Are we destroying them? Um... And he, the only thing he has has seen is the little black, which sound like the pollen beetles. Yeah, there's, the, now there's a lot of those because the uh, the rapes been uh, right. finished flowering, been harvested, yeah. and they're just off all over Essex. Um, 
It's funny you say that because I've seen loads of hoverflies and loads of bees. Yeah, I was so, going to say hoverflies certainly. There's more the, hoverflies this year. There's a lot there. of them now, and, and I would say about the last two weeks yes, there's been a real sort of abundance of them so, um, and so they've, they've all come back yeah, to I fall. mean areas vary don't they I mean yeah. it, you can't predict that some everywhere gets bees everywhere gets hoverflies can you no, I mean, it dep- <laughs> and it might just be a year they, where he hasn't. Got they have them. to be there, with no pun intended, to actually, in order to to uh, yeah. be- uh, become more numerous. You know, so I mean, it just depends. But, but generally, the- I would have thought it's quite a good year for pollinators. I, mean. I think it started off a little bit thin on the ground, yeah, but they but certainly come back up. to the fore, yeah. And yeah. he's saying, why are there so many spiders this year so early? He's right there. There are a lot of spiders. Mild winter. Me. It's mild winter, isn't it? Yeah, some of, some of them uh, get killed off in the winter, but a lot of them have been able to survive. So. Anyway, uh, Will, so we haven't got a pure answer for you, but uh, it's interesting how it does vary from area to area. Uh, That's all we can say about that, and uh, perhaps it's just a bad year for you, Patrick. Um, Tony from Colchester, Red Robins we're talking, aren't we? Fertinia Red Robin, Tony. Yes, um, hello, Ken. Um, Yes, I've had this Red Robin tree for 15 or more years, and it's always done particularly well. This year, in the spring, it got its usual little clusters with the new leaves on and it looked very nice and all of a sudden it's all dried up and the leaves are all shriveling up have they got have we got life? spots on the leaf uh well the leaves are just shriveling up and falling off oh dryness, because isn't it? But it, i would say it's probably uh dryness now the thing is this year it's been so dry and it was so dry last year that we've had rain, and when I've been digging down into the ground at the, uh, the university, dry, digging down, it? and it's sort of it's just about moist at the surface, and then suddenly hit this iron sort of uh, feeling. So the, the clay, the, uh, the blade of the spade only seems to sort of clang, if you like, and it's just hitting very, very hard clay. Now we're on clay, and that usually holds on to some water, but I mean, if you've got um, trees and shrubs pulling water out of the ground, there comes a point when there's no more to be had. And yeah. because there's been no more rainfall, unless you're lucky enough to have a spring, the water's a finite resource in the soil. So, And watering it isn't going to be the answer, because it tends to, to spread out sideways. It doesn't move down through the soil as quickly as you think it does, unless you can water it very steadily and very slowly. So right. it sounds to me like that's probably a problem. The reason I asked about the spots, just to go back to that, Fertinia's, they get yeah. this thing called uh, Fertinia leaf spot, and one of the problems is when it gets hot, these leaves, it just sheds Shop. these leaves. Right. So, but usually the plant's quite healthy, even though it's shedding these leaves. It's just okay. A, yeah. And and it's a it's a reminder for anybody if you're thinking of watering, don't go out and just leave the hose running. You leave it trickling. Mm. You'd be better off with leave a trickling, and I mean a trickle, all night yeah. on a plant if you're worried about it. Then you are to yeah, give it a, a, give it several a, bucket loads. I'm going to sort of do a one-liner. A trick I learned out in Africa was what the, the gardeners there all do is, is they, um, they they put a, a circle of um, raised circle of soil around it and they leave the trickle on there into the and that stops it from flowing out and running yeah. off and making a little rill down your border into your drain uh, but you really have to have it trickling slowly and that will sort of keep it above and you'll get a column of water moving down but even when that starts moving to the soil it will move sideways as well so you've, right. you've got to keep up you know like like ken says a, a long trickle. steady trickle okay. all right tony yeah thanks very much for your help uh, it's a pleasure it's tony from colchester just um about christine is saying that about her tomato, she's sent us an email with pictures of the tomato, and she's yeah. got several in a grow bag, but of course one has gone sort of curly and looks sick, and the one next to it's healthy, and she's saying, mm. why? There is no reason why plants no. do this. It's, it, not, it's not blight, it doesn't look like no, blight, No, it's not blight, it? but it's certainly something to do with the roots. Now, one of the things is we can't tell, we can't see whether that's, um, if it's a... Um, green waste say for instance used in there sometimes you get all sorts of things we, we found it's a well-known brand yeah but, but, but with, if, it, anything, if it's a peat-free it? one they've got the peat-free yeah, yeah yeah so we had uh, years ago we were uh, testing green waste at the campus and all of the tomatoes started to come up and curl and uh, things were put into these and it was because there was um a, a well-known um so it's a 2,4-D, which is a, is a yes. type of um, yeah. um, pesticide, uh, herbicide, herbicide, use, herbicide used yeah. on lawns. And that must have, that was classic damage from that. So it's a bit variable. When, it, when peat was being used all the time, it was a known commodity and it performed uh, absolutely the same. But that can be a, a variety of things. It might be that patch of the... Um, Grow bag, she's got tell. wetter or something like that. Yeah, it's very she's difficult got a to self-watering tell. Self-watering system, yeah, so it could be that as a problem. Yeah, it? wetness and dryness give the same net result. The plant wilts and dies. So, so. you could actually be better to take the self-watering system off it mm. and go back to watering it. 
Yeah. And you might better save it, but I think but it thing doesn't is, look good. Stick your finger down into the grill bag, and, and if, it's too if, wet. It, if it's very wet, you know it's been overwatered. If it's very dry, obviously you know it's been underwater. <laughs> and if it's just right, you, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> Plants this year are struggling a bit, mm, aren't they? Yeah. Let's talk to Christine in Burnham on Crouch. We've been to Burnham once. We're down to Burnham again. We're talking Back badges the coast, with you, yeah. aren't you? Yeah, Hello, down the coast. Um, badges and foxes, that common problem that we're getting now. Yeah. which I still have a problem with. Now, what I've been doing, Ken, I grow a few vegetables. I've got some um, chard and a few beetroot and some um, purple sprouting broccoli plants growing. And in an effort to stop them being dug up, I've been sprinkling a mixture of ground black pepper and chilli powder on the soil. OK. Hoping it might help. The question I wanted to ask, does that have any adverse effect on the soil or the plants? Because no. obviously every time you water... You've got to redo it. Yeah, that's the only disadvantage. Effect on, like, plant the roots or anything no. like that. No, it won't. But these, these, um, all of these things in there, which are, um, are you you're trying to use as a, as a deterrent for the, the animals, they're, they're just natural plant products. So yeah. they, they, they break down very quickly. Bacteria. Hot, pepper's hot. I didn't no, know if it had no, any no, no, it won't affect the roots at all. No. No oh, problem right. at all. That's yeah. all I wanted to know. But, That's um, all right. That's what we're and here And it won't make, you, it won't make your vegetables any hotter either. It, it's not <laughs> a transferable <laughs> thing, you know. So if, if you come off the phone and think, oh, I should have asked them that, you know, it will, it will just break down in the soil. It's fine. OK. OK, OK. Thanks for that. That's all no I problem. wanted to know. Thank you. We'll leave you enjoying sunny Burnham on Crouch <laughs> and we go to Fred from Perfleet. What are we talking Hello. about, Fred? Hello. Yes, I've got some strawberry plants. I've some cuttings off my brother-in-law. Uh, three years ago, mm-hmm. and first year we had some lovely strawberries. Last year I didn't have any, and this year I haven't got any. Yeah, what you need to do is, well, they'll start producing runners soon, and yeah. um, you need to what we call peg down the runners. Now the best way to do that is to sink a pot of compost into the ground, just a small pot, almost like a thumb pot. Peg it down into there. When it starts to grow and look active. You'll be able to know there's roots in there. You just snip it from the parent plant. Take about three to four weeks to do that. Grow them on in a pot for a little while and then plant them out sort of uh, in the, uh, the late autumn uh, or in, in the early part of the winter. Uh, plant those plants out into a new bed. You're better oh, off moving strawberries back. Uh, you can grow strawberries in grow bags as well. That's how they do yeah. commercially. You know, so, yeah. But, I mean, they do, if you leave them in the same spot, they'll tend to languish. Oh, right. Okay. They're in pots, you see. Yeah. Oh, they're in pots, yeah. We're the same as a pot, yeah. yeah. So, so just start yeah. them off again and put them in new pots. Right. If you've got a strawberry pot, right, if you've got on there, no, grow them on in, but, Well, just say if anyone is listening, you, you grow on the runners and you grow on enough runners to fill that pot again. And then you empty again. it out and put new compost in, give it a pot of wash. You know, make a new start with strawberries always. Thank you, Fred, from Perfect there. Just an email here from Pam. I just thought I'd read this one out because occasionally you get things right. Thought you'd like to see my poinsettia has developed after you suggested cutting it down to six inches. It's still growing. Plenty of new leaves. Do I continue to feed and water as I have done or cut back on the feed? We'll be waiting actually to see how it develops for Christmas. You can keep feeding it through yeah, the summer. Yeah, keep, keep feeding it with just a normal uh, proprietary blend. You don't have to, uh, People sort of seem to get obsessed thinking after about June, July, you have to use tomato food. You don't. You just no. uh, just keep feeding it. Because it's make, actually a leaf that's being... It is a leaf bract, yeah. But yeah. The, the thing is you need to make sure that it doesn't get any light as it goes into the autumn over and above the normal daylight. It, it needs to have uh, a minimum of, of uh, 12 to 14 hours of dark. So you have to... Uh, put it in a room where nobody's going to walk in and turn the light on, even just for a few <laughs> seconds and things like that. So um, but that's the trick to getting it back into to the red bracts again. Otherwise, it's easy enough to keep them growing. OK, now... Um, oh, where's my phone box gone? It's disappeared. Oh, no, it's reappeared here. Um, let's uh, just go through some of the texts that we have received as well. Uh, we have got My Tree of Heaven... Heaven, Tree of Heaven is Ilanthus. Mm. Uh, suddenly died on me this week. Could you explain why my other ones are very healthy? Maybe my neighbour has cut its roots. I think we're seeing a lot more deaths of plants than we ever mm. realised. Mm. People don't realise that it. actually it's a, it's a continuation of a pattern that's actually affecting, particularly 
our country, but mm. everywhere, less yeah. water over a period. Yeah. It's been very dry, like I, I keep saying. And it's several years, it's not just well, yeah, this year. I mean, so, but the last 18 months in particular have been yeah. very dry, and people said about the thunderstorms a few weeks ago. It, it was a, literally a drop in the ocean compared to what we no, need. No, we've, we've been doing the same as you. In fact, yeah. the garden I went to had got a trench across their front lawn, and when you look down, and it, there is no wet in there at all. No, it's no, two it's foot it's deep. <laughs> there is nothing in there at all. Uh, just dry hardcore. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> That's, uh, so the answer is it could most most likely is actually just dry conditions yeah, at the yeah. Nylanthus. I mean, yeah? Not knowing this neighbour, I don't want to cast any aspersions. Okay. <laughs> Betty in South End called. She has a pond. When is the best time of the year to empty it and re-put water in it? It looks nice, but the pond lilies are very, very old. So she wants to sort it out completely. Uh, if it's the lilies, uh, the, the spring. Wait till the spring. Take, yeah. take them out um, and late winter. And then you winter. have to be careful with the water because you've best to transfer some of the water into a similar container aren't you because yeah. if not uh you could lose some of the pond life yes you? indeed yeah. yeah so that's that's quite important uh i've got cosmos plants for the first time what's best to feed them with and is it worth trying to grow from grow the seeds that's right, now, the, the to the first question, any standard feed, what you'd feed, any other plant in a pot, if you're going with a pot, or just like a, a normal fertiliser for the soil if needed. Uh, as for the seeds, if you're growing a cultivar, it probably won't come true from seed. Thank you very much for listening to the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast. If you missed any of the answers to the questions we gave, you can download this programme and take it with you on the BBC Sounds app. Don't forget, if you have a gardening question for us, why not give us a call on Saturday mornings at 11 on 0800 111 40 41 and be part of the programme. Remember, 11 o'clock, gardening here on BBC Essex on Saturdays. 